You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. It's spy versus spy at Citizen Lab, but who the spies were working for isn't clear. Ukraine's cyber police accused Russia of fishing for election influence... As Fortuna's wheel turns, Russian bigwigs get doxxed by transparency hacktivists. Great power tension over Venezuela bears watching in cyberspace. Alleged swatters have been indicted and arrested. And happy National Privacy Day. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, January 28, 2019. Citizen Lab reports that two of its researchers have been approached by people expressing an interest in them as individuals, and then in their work on commercial intercept tools, specifically those produced by the NSO group. The lab, based at the University of Toronto, had been investigating the possible use, presumably by the Saudi government, of NSO group tools against the subsequently murdered opposition figure and columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Citizen Lab stresses they have no evidence the NSO group was involved in approaching its researchers, and NSO group says it had nothing to do with it. The people who made the approach represented themselves as socially conscious investors associated with FlameTech and CPW Consulting, both of which, the AP concluded after investigation, appear to be bogus. Their fraudulence extended to such familiar social engineering techniques as using stock images of people to serve as pictures of the purported company's executives. Note that flame tech is all one word, and not to be confused with, for example, the similarly named legitimate welding equipment vendor. That company uses two words. There are also legitimate and innocent outfits with names like CPW Consulting. The bogus front operation uses a hyphen in its name. The lab worked with the AP to let a face-to-face meeting between one staff member and the individual who contacted him play out. Citizen Lab says the approach was similar to one that private security firms use, and the AP is put in mind of the kind of private eyes they say Harvey Weinstein favored in his alleged attempts to silence the women he importuned. There may well be similarities to private security techniques— But we should also note a similarity to the way an espionage service might seek to compromise and recruit an agent. Ars Technica calls the techniques the people from FlameTech and CPW Consulting used comically inept, and there is indeed a touch of the comic book, the movie, the TV show, about them, 
Especially if one thinks back to the early vogue for spy thrillers the James Bond flicks prompted back in the day. But don't get cocky, kids. This may have been man-from-uncle stuff, but it didn't sink to get-smart levels of hilarious implausibility. People, and not even unusually incautious or dopey people, have fallen for less sophisticated scams in the past. Recall that a lot of people who should have known better, did know better, swallowed the Robin Sage catfish demonstration hook, line, and sinker. Do note that the approach involved attempts to cultivate personal connections, find apparent common interests, and so on. The hoods do seem to have rushed their game a bit, but sometimes a rushed approach works. At any rate, it's sad to say, but true, if a stranger pops up with whom you seem to have a lot in common and who seems to have taken an interest in you, be on your guard. Sure, it could be a headhunter or a potential investor, but it could be someone else, too. And if they begin to ask you to perform small, innocent good deeds for them, a copy of a phone directory, perhaps, or an agreement to email a friend of theirs with some advice on study abroad programs, well, run for the exit and tell your security officer. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security recently put out an emergency directive concerning the secure management of DNS records across the federal government. Sean Lingus is a senior reporter for CyberScoop, and he's been following the story. This story began because private researchers uh, released warnings in recent weeks and months that there was a broad set of malicious activity related to domain name systems occurring in different parts of the world. Researchers from Cisco Talos, which is the threat intelligence unit of of Cisco, released research in November warning about such a campaign that targeted, in this case, Lebanese and United Arab Emirates government websites. And then uh, in January, researchers from cybersecurity company FireEye also put out research outlining how this type of attack was unfolding against a broader set of targets also. With that body of research, the Department of Homeland Security grew concerned that U.S. federal civilian agencies were vulnerable to this type of attack. And indeed, according to our reporting, at least six agencies have been affected by so-called malicious domain name uh, system tampering. And that's why the department decided to issue its first ever emergency order to agencies to fix this problem, and that was under authority granted to the department in 2015 by Congress. And, and so what is the uh, the threat here, the manipulation of the DNS records? What could that result in? Uh, it could result in malicious uh, traffic, and, and the most basic case, malicious traffic being directed at users, so tricking a computer user in in the government when they're trying to visit a website uh, that that, that they trust, uh, redirecting them to somewhere else where their their computer uh, could be infected. And uh, my understanding, it also could be a conduit for other more sophisticated attacks, hence the concern of basic, this kind of uh, malicious activity gets to the root of of how records are kept on the internet and, and websites are verified. So in that sense, it's kind of a a core level issue that has to be uh, dealt with. And what is in the emergency directive? What are they requiring the agencies do? Uh, it's a series of steps, including doing something that a lot of cybersecurity experts are, are always tell users to do, which is to use multi-factor authentication uh, when managing a DNS-related uh, accounts, uh, domain name system accounts, so requiring a backup uh, login method in order to access those accounts. 
Um, it's unclear how many agencies are not doing that now, but again, that's uh, one of the requirements. And then another requirement is to compare certificate logs. So going in, uh, making sure that uh, all that matches up the way it should be, because according to uh, some of the research, the private sector research that I mentioned, uh, the attackers have been going after the, those certificates uh, as a means of compromising systems. So those are two things. And, and other other measures include auditing DNS uh, records. It's all being asked uh, to be carried out within uh, 10 business days. And that's the clock is already ticking. You know, DHS, I've seen some praise from uh, private sector cybersecurity executives saying, way to be clear in outlining the challenge and the coordination. I think they want to that this is being seen as a, an example of, of good coordination between top-level researchers and the department, which has invested a lot in bringing in cybersecurity talent in the last couple of years. That's Sean Lingus from CyberScoop. You can follow his ongoing reporting on the DHS Emergency Directive on the CyberScoop website. Ukraine cyber police say they're seeing an upsurge in Russian phishing aimed at disrupting upcoming elections. Russia says it's never done anything of the kind anywhere to anyone. Transparency activists at the organization calling themselves Distributed Denial of Secrets have released a very large set of documents produced by prominent Russians, politicians, oligarchs, journalists, and religious leaders, the New York Times and others report. The size of the dump is said to be 175 gigabytes, called the dark side of the Kremlin. The content the group posted is intended to be seen as discreditable, as no doubt much of it is. Distributed denial of secrets is described by the Rappler as a kind of WikiLeaks rival, but their selectivity with respect to what they release is thought to be less finicky than that shown by the House of Assange. The New York Times, for example, reports that WikiLeaks had declined to publish the documents on the grounds that it, quote, rejects all submissions that it cannot verify, end quote. It also rejects material it finds insignificant, but WikiLeaks didn't say which category included the Russian documents. The Daily Beast quotes Nicholas Weaver, a researcher at the University of California at Berkeley's International Computer Science Institute, on WikiLeaks's practices. Weaver said, quote, a lot of what WikiLeaks will do is organize and republish information that's appeared elsewhere. They've never done that with anything out of Russia. End quote. Much of what distributed denial of secrets has released with the dark side of the Kremlin appears to originate with hacktivist groups like Shaltai Baltai, the Ukrainian Cyber Alliance, and Cyber Hunta. Russia and China have joined to block a U.S.-sponsored attempt to gain U.N. recognition of Juan Guaido as Venezuela's acting president. Reuters also reports the presence of deniable Russian military contractors in Venezuela, guarding Chavista incumbent Nicolas Maduro, declared illegitimate by the National Assembly. Expect hybrid operations to accompany the tension. And finally, today is National Privacy Day. Unisys shared a snapshot of American attitudes toward online privacy with us. Their results suggest the circumstances in which American adults would prefer to keep things to themselves. Among the top concerns are apps and devices that share behavioral, geolocation, or health data. Here's a quick summary of Unisys's conclusions. 42% don't want their health insurance providers to track their fitness activity via wearable monitors to determine premiums or reward behavior. 
38% don't want police accessing data from their wearable fitness monitor at their discretion to determine if they were at a given location at a certain time. 34% don't want medical devices such as pacemakers or blood sugar sensors to immediately transmit any significant changes to their doctor. 24% don't want an emergency button on their smartphone or smartwatch to send their location to police if they need help. And 21% don't want an app on their smartwatch from their bank or credit card company to make payments from their watch. So, on National Privacy Day, keep it to yourself, all right? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. Emily, great to have you back. Um, you and I have talked about this notion of fulls with a Z, these records online. And uh, there's some fulls having to do with kids that have come to your attention recently. What are we talking about here today? As you mentioned, we've talked about fulls before. And yeah. your listeners might recall that these are these fulls stand for full ID packs, basically full personal information kits. And for an adult, that would be something like payment card, name, address, maybe username and password for an account, uh, mother's maiden name, answers to security questions, the uh, digital equivalent of someone stealing your wallet with all of your your information inside. Mm. In this case, though, we're talking about kidfuls. So this is child data. Mm. Uh, A few weeks ago now in late December, we discovered a series of listings across some of the major dark web markets where one vendor was selling kidfuls. These are you know, these are children, so they have less information in the system, but name, uh, address, phone number, and social security number for, for kids. And, and what, what's the appeal of this? There are a few different ways people can use this. Uh, one of the most common ways we're hearing now, of course, is synthetic IDs, where you're creating 
a synthetic identity using information for children, people who aren't in the credit system yet, people who aren't going to notice something on their credit report, at least not for another 10 or 15 years. Uh, You might use it for a child tax credit. Child information has a couple of unique benefits. One, it's truly fresh data, which is hard to come by in a system where information is being compromised all the time. This is information that is fresh because it didn't exist two months ago, right? When you're using infant data or baby's data, they weren't alive a few months ago in most cases. So it's, it's brand new to the system. And two, as I mentioned with the credit report, no one's checking on this. No one is monitoring their kid's credit. No one's freezing their kid's credit. Mm. If you're listening to this, stop what you're doing right now and freeze your kid's credit. (laughs) Is there any uh, notion for how the folks are are vacuuming these up? How do do they get them unmasked? So it's an interesting question because when we think about child data, particularly for young children or, or babies, the number of possible sources is relatively small. Mm. If you're an adult, you can be breached from one of hundreds of different points. But for babies, really, we're talking about hospitals and government records. And maybe when they get a little bit older, childcare or or educational system. In this case, the vendor says explicitly that these are from pediatricians offices or, or healthcare networks. And they have other data up for sale that says that they recently breached a major hospital. Mm. And so if you're a parent, how do you protect your kids against this sort of thing? Well, first recognize that your children are open to data compromised just as much as adults are. Hmm. You know, these records are specifically listed as belonging to children, but any other hospital records that may have been breached or educational records that might have been breached, child information is getting caught up there. So recognize that they are also at risk, that we're not just talking about adults. Hmm. And then the other thing you can do, which really is the only other thing you can do as an adult as well is to freeze your credit, monitor your credit. You know, people are using this information because they want to monetize it. So nip that in the bud the only way you can. To you know, add insult to injury, a few years ago now, the Social Security Administration changed the way they were issuing uh, Social Security numbers, which means that instead of following that familiar pattern that we all know, where you have sort of the the group code and the area code, and this followed a predictable set, now these numbers are randomized, which means that it's harder to tell if a number is belonging to someone who's two weeks old, if a number belongs to someone who's 22 years old, or if the number hasn't been issued yet, because it checks out. All right. Well, it's interesting information, Uh, something uh, certainly as a parent to keep an eye on. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. 
It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.